Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. In my practice now, especially, the amounts of truly personality disordered narcissists out there, it's its way more than I am comfortable even admitting to my own head. Um, it's, it's, and now people have names for it, so you can... People are reporting it in their partners more and more. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I am so, so excited, so excited today for this guest. She and I have been chatting on social media and just having like this whole like love fest on social media for each other for like, I think over a year now. And uh, and I actually, we did a an Instagram live that you guys might have caught probably more than a year ago now. And... I just absolutely love her content. Uh, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman is a licensed clinical psychologist and a nationally renowned expert in narcissistic abuse. She is absolutely brilliant in everything that she does. She's got books uh, and, and, and all sorts of resources around this topic. You guys are just in for such a wonderful, wonderful episode today on everything that she's about to teach you. I mean, really, you're going to want to listen to this over and over again. You're really going to want to tune in. You're going to want to get your notes, notebook out. You're really going to want to make sure you just stop what you're doing and listen to everything that she has to say because really, she is so, so good at what she does. So I'm so excited to have you here. I know that everything you're going to teach today and share today is just going to be absolutely so so important and critical. So thank you for joining joining me, joining us today, Dr. Z. Well, thank first, thank you for having me. Second, that was the nicest intro anyone's ever given me. Thank you so much. It's like totally triggered the imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh what? Yeah, uh, no, no, no imposters here. We are worthy. My, a a uh, fellow no, great. <laughs> I know. It's you no, know, it's great to be here. You know I'm a huge fan. I love your work. I think you're brilliant. Um, and you just give, I refer so many people to your page because of the, just the merging of the legal and the, you know, narcissism and how to manage it. And it's just, you're very, uh, just like quick, solid tips that people can pick up and use. So thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I want to start with a couple of different things. One is how do you, as a psychologist, Define narcissism. I think that it's a good, you know, people ask me this all the time. I always like to give a layperson's, but I want to hear from you how you define it as a psychologist. Yeah. So I tend to, for the purpose of, of you know, explaining it to people, I like to give behaviors um, rather than kind of this 
dry clinical step-by-step DSM criteria that won't make sense to a lot of people. So um, I would say first and foremost, um, somebody, as we know, that has these grandiose ideas that, you know, they business ideas or these ideas about how they should be perceived by people in the community. Um, the problem with that becomes is that they don't always necessarily do the work, but yet they expect that notoriety and that, and that, that feedback, um, no empathy, um, which we'll obviously talk about, but this no remorse for the damage that they kind of leave in their path. Um, you know, people always say, do they know what they're doing? Um, yes, they do know what they're doing. And I think the reason why it's so hard to understand that is because we just can't imagine that people would deliberately do that. Right. So that's part of that. Um, tons of manipulative strategies, right? We, we know love bombing, gaslighting, all of those, um, extremely sensitive to criticism. So where you and I, someone gives us constructive feedback about podcasts or about something that we write, we take it, maybe it makes us uncomfortable, but we take it, we understand it has nothing to do with us and we put it into practice. Whereas somebody who is, has narcissistic personality disorder will perceive just even the slightest slightest thing as this massive criticism against them. And that's when you'll get that response of either rage or silent treatment or some sort of punishment, um, as a result of that. Um, what am I missing? Very kind of unstable relationships, right? They tend to look at people as objects. Um, everybody has a serves a certain purpose in their world. And when they are done with that purpose for the time being, they, they put you on a shelf. You don't exist when they need you for whatever reason, they're bored, sex, money, whatever, take you off the shelf, re-engage with you. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we hit on most of them, right? Am I missing anything significant? (laughs) No, I think you hit it pretty well. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I was, I was sort of laughing about the, um, I mean, not laughing, but in a, in a way sort of laughing about the, 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 the triggers. I always say, you know, narcissists hear hear tones like dogs hear whistles. Like even if there's no tone in your voice. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so easily slighted mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and it's funny, funny when you just talk about the shelf, I always say it's like, even if there's like a tiny little bit of like peanut butter at the bottom of the jar, like if there's a little bit of supply to be had, then, you know, they're coming back for that. Yep. Little they're going to save it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, like they have it on the shelf, like you're just sort of on the shelf there, like, you know, they're storing it like, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a jar for the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so good. So good. So how did you get involved? How did you, what was, was there a narcissist in your life? Was there a, a, you know, a person? Was it a thing? And, you know, why, what drives you? What's, what's the mission for you? So there's, I have a, a, couple, a couple things that drive me. So first was I was always fascinated by how the brain works. Um, and that kind of morphed into personality. I've always been fascinated by that and um, just how people's behaviors work. And so that's why I got into psychology. Narcissistic piece, I would say, came in when I went into private practice many, many years ago. Um, I started seeing mostly women, but started seeing women that were coming in with kind of very 
similar stories, right? And the interesting thing is that in graduate school, and I think most of the people in my cohort will, will say this, I don't know how it is now, I'm, I'm hoping it changed, but we didn't really learn about narcissistic personality disorder. We learned about borderline personality disorder. But we didn't learn about narcissism. It was very um, grandiose, louder than life, you know, sucks the energy out of the room, but, but that was it. There was nothing about covert narcissism, nothing about the nuances, the layers. So it was interesting because when I would hear these stories, they all fit this very similar blueprint. And I remember one day just kind of saying like, what it like, it's so, and I'm like, Oh my God, wait, this is, this is narcissistic abuse, but in a very different form. And so I started talking to colleagues about it. Um, and this was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I started talking to colleagues about it and there was, there wasn't a lot. I mean, there is, but there wasn't a lot out there. Like there is now people were, were walking around thinking they were the only ones thinking that, and the worst part about it was they couldn't really communicate it because they didn't even know what was going on. It's not like it was an isolated event. They could talk about it was like these things were happening, but they didn't even know those things were abuse. So half the time they're reporting it to me, I'm not even getting the full story. Um, so I started seeing a lot of that and I really think it's always been there and a lot and people always say, Oh, it's such a small percentage of population. No, it's not. It's way more than that. It's just that they don't come in for treatment. So there's no way to track that. But I am telling you, and this is just purely anecdotal, but in my practice now, especially the amounts of truly personality disordered narcissists out there, it's, it's way more than I am comfortable even admitting in my own head. Um, it's, it's, and now people have names for it. So you can, people are reporting it in their partners more and more. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just the DSM five alone for personality disorders now, and I'm lumping in antisocial and, mm -hmm. and, and borderline mm -hmm. and histrionic and all the others, right? But just the DSM-5 alone, which is like the most extreme yes. that there is. And I'm, yes. I'm just saying that, you know, my book was published last year. So I went and I looked. So just the DSM-5 alone is 15% of the population. And that includes um, narcissistic personality mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. so that's the most extreme. Extreme criteria, right? <laughs> Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and, and these these are not people who are go, walking into a, a, a mental health Correct. office and say, "Hey, test me." Mm -mm. So that's fifteen no. percent of the population. Mm -hmm. And and you know, according to um, Bill Eddy, that another ten percent of the population is high conflict personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, some sure. of that there's overlap. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that there's overlap, but still, fifteen percent of the population now going into there. There's a spectrum, right? There's Correct. a spectrum. So as you get closer and closer to the end of the spectrum, there, you're going to start to see these traits and tendencies. That's right. So That's right. who knows? How mm -hmm. many more could be just kind of floating toward the end of the spectrum mm -hmm. and not actually have a disorder? Yeah. And I always say too, and I'll go back to answering the question because I just got so sidetracked, but um, I always say to people, and it doesn't, I, people oftentimes, I think, avoid dealing with the situation 
which I understand because it's very difficult, but avoid dealing with the situation by trying to find this golden nugget to diagnose their partner. And my whole thing with that is if these are the behaviors, it doesn't matter. Correct. Doesn't matter. Um, and so I think a lot of times they, they don't want to break up with them or leave just in case they're not a narcissist. But, but again, toxic is toxic and narcissistic behaviors are narcissistic behaviors. So, um, or, but to answer question, or whatever. Yeah, or, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I was fascinated by that. And then growing up, you know, I had a parent that was not so much of the, um, uh, enmeshed extension of, but more of kind of the opposite of very hands up, very neglectful, almost kind of, um, not, didn't want to be in this role and, and made that very known. Right. So it was, it was kind of more on that end of things, which people actually, I don't think talk about that much when it comes to narcissistic parents. I think there are a lot of times they're focused on that enmeshment and over-involvement and arguing and, 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 um, you know, that kind of abuse, but it was, it was, it was a different kind that we don't actually really talk about all that much. Um, so there was that, which kind of, I think is what made me interested probably in the first place. Then I started working with all these mostly women and seeing this come about and realizing there's so few resources out there. Um, and then I would say when social media started picking these things up and really talking about it, survivors now had a place to share their stories. And I, I again, realized how much of a need there was to talk about this and not just the criteria we listed, but really, truly like what this looks like in a dynamic, right? Like what are the actual nuances of this behavior? Because if you don't know, you miss it period. Right. Like, and, and not all mental health professionals are trained in this type of nuanced behavior. And so I find that, that a lot of times it goes undiagnosed couples therapy goes bad really fast. Um, because the way you treat narcissistic personality as, as far as the survivors go, the way you work with them, you actually oftentimes do the opposite of what you would do with somebody who's toxic, but not a narcissist. And you can do more harm than good by not understanding that. Um, and then a couple of years ago, my, my dearest friend, and she's, she lets me talk about it so I could say this, but, uh, my closest friend was married to a narcissist for years, 20 plus years. Um, mm. and it was really bad. And I had front row seats to all of it. And it was brutally just, it was mind blowing. And, you know, you talk about it and you see it, but when you, when you actually watch somebody very, you're very close to going through it. It's different when you're, when you go through it, but when you actually see somebody going through it and you know, what's happening and you're involved in some respects, it's, it's actually really scary. And it's scary because she, as smart as she was, she's an attorney. She, she, she couldn't get out when COVID hit. when COVID hit and the lockdown happens, that's when you saw a lot of people, um, needing to get out and get out fast because now they were stuck at home with their abuser and it, it got really bad. Domestic violence rates went up, substance abuse went up. Um, financial issues were huge. People were dying. So it really, um, made everything just worse. And that's when I really started to push on social media 
as a resource for people just so they could see that they're not alone and that people come out on the other side of this, that it is not all doom and gloom on the other side, that it does get better and it is possible. Um, and I felt like that message a few, a few people obviously talk about that, but I feel like that message was getting lost. Everyone was so stuck in how bad narcissists are, but there weren't a lot of tips and strategies of how to get out onto their side, which is why I found you and loved your account because you do the just really like no BS. Like this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And those were nuggets that people could take with them and apply. And I thought that that was so important oh, instead of just you. sitting yeah just I sitting think it's probably because balloon. I was an elementary school teacher before I was a lawyer by the way <laughs> that makes total sense yeah, yeah right little known fact actually yes. not many people know that but yeah that's I, it's what I did for um a few years before I became a lawyer god bless Sorry. you yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one job I don't think I could yes <laughs> well Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash best life did you know that americans spend an average of 90 percent of their time indoors and take twenty thousand breaths a day but according to the epa it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air and then sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier and air doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% .9 of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code, yourbestlife. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off 
or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code your best life. Um, so I think, um, that is so, so, so good. Um, and I think, uh, I want to go into some of the things that you were saying about having a friend who was going through it. And I think that that is actually a really good point because I know for me, when I was dealing with it myself, it brought up so many feelings of, uh, you know, being being bullied as a kid. Mm And I was dealing with somebody who was a covert narcissist, which I had never even heard of that term. And this was actually after I had already built this big law practice and I had already thought that I had gotten past all of the stuff that I thought that I had dealt with, you know, as a kid and all of that. And I had friends and I had like a life and, you know, my, my life was good. I mean, you know, everything was fine. And then... I had merged my practice with two other guys and moved. Um, I mean, we still had our place in Florida, but we moved to to LA and I was in a new area. And, uh, and so I started a few different businesses. And in one of these businesses, I was with this person who turned out to be a covert narcissist. I never even knew what that was. Never mm-hmm. heard of that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was feeling all these feelings of insecurities and traumas and all of this was coming up. And I can tell you that people would say like, oh, well, that doesn't seem so bad. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that was inadvertent. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, she seems so nice. And, and, And all of that to me was kind of just adding to the the issues for me. So it's so invalidating and not intentionally, right. but that's the result and that's why a lot of people keep quiet, especially even before there were no names you said, you know, like you were saying there's there were no names, no labels, at least now we have terms we can associate with it. Right. So this was like 5 years ago and to me <clears throat> a narcissist was basically a male misogynist, yes. blowhard, yes. big guy who filled the room, who yes. would demand the best tables in the restaurant, who was like kind of mm-hmm. telling everybody how great he was, mm-hmm. who was, that to me was what a narcissist was. Same. Yes. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. So I definitely never thought of this person as a narcissist at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, really afraid that everybody was going to think it was my fault and everybody was going to think that I was the problem and that, you know, and so I want you to speak to that a little Mm -hmm. bit about how to support somebody who's telling someone about that they're in these relationships Mm -hmm. and how to um, help people in narcissistic uh, abusive relationships. 
Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Imagine you're in a plane uh, parachuting, right? And you're with your significant other and you're going to jump out together. But instead, they push you out without the parachute. And they're still up there with the parachute. And you fall, but you live. And you look up and you see them up in the plane and they're smiling and waving and that's it. You never see them again. So it's, it's like that. You're supposed to pick up the pieces and try to regroup when the whole world has just been pulled out from under you. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic? I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets. And so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. They're constantly watching you, constantly observing. How are you behaving with me? You know, are you for me? Are you against me? You know, so they're constantly watching you because they're going to use this information. They're going to weaponize this information against you. And now we return to today's show. So that's a tough one because it really comes down to, I like to call it preventative medicine. This is why you and I do what we do. It's, it's not even just educating people who are in abusive relationships, but so much of what I talk about, I also direct towards people who aren't in these relationships as a way to one, prevent them from getting them, prevent them from getting into them in the future, but two, to understand it enough where if somebody they know comes to them, they don't dismiss them. They don't make them feel, um, that they're overreacting. They don't invalidate their experiences, even if they don't mean to, that's what happens. So education, I think is, is the first thing is really learning about what it is and what it looks like. When I work with people who let's say, um, have a narcissistic kid or have a narcissistic spouse, um, you know, or actually I'll give you an example, working with somebody who is not themselves in a narcissistic relationship, but let's say they have an adult child who's married to a narcissist and they're seeing all this stuff going and they don't know what to do and they, they feel helpless. And I'm working with that parent in terms of kind of exactly what you're saying. The first thing I tell people in addition to educating them is no matter what, do not cut ties with them. Even if you haven't spoken in forever, because chances are the narcissist is isolating them slowly, slowly, slowly. And you probably feel that you're probably confused as to why you don't know why they don't like you. They don't know why they don't want to talk to you. Even with all of that uncertainty, even if you're so angry at them for distancing themselves from you, if you know that it's, that the isolation is happening because the narcissist is, is isolating them, 
you, you can still stay in there and not take it personally. And even if they don't understand that, I just tell them they're going to need you at some point as part of their exit plan. And they're going to need somebody to call or to go sleep on their couch, or they're going to need money, whatever the case may be. Stay there because if you disappear on them as angry as you may be, as unfair as it may be, you don't want to deprive them of the opportunity of getting out. So that's, that's the other thing I tell people. Um, it's such great advice, such great advice. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard. And it's a lot of times people will say, you know, if someone's explaining the experience to them, um, you know, Oh, he seems so nice. Right. Or, um, I've never seen him get angry. And well, of course you haven't gotten seen him angry because they're doing it behind closed doors at very specific times. Um, and so it's important, I think, to educate people on that and say it, you know, kind of just like that, that you may never see them angry and, and thank goodness, right? That's great. You don't see them angry. You wouldn't want to see what it looks like. And so you keep kind of driving home this dichotomy between what they see and what you see, because they think that's really, really important. Um, you know, and listen, here's the other thing. The best way you can support somebody is by listening to them. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. You don't have to fix it. You don't even have to understand it. But the support that you get from someone just listening can be huge, just knowing that somebody's there. So even if you don't understand it or it's confusing to you or you don't agree, just just listen. That's mm-hmm. sometimes all you need. Yeah. Yeah. How about for people who feel like they've been in a narcissistic relationship and they think, has the whole thing been a lie? Mm-hmm. They never love me at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. And I think uh, that is probably the stage that as a psychologist is the hardest part of what I do when people hit that stage and they have that, wait a minute, wait, hold on. Was, Cause you're not like that in the beginning. You're still processing what happened. You're understanding narcissistic abuse. You're coming, you're realizing the patterns in the playbook and all that. And then you hit this point of, well, well, wait a minute, if they're like this, then was everything a lie? Was everything, um, out of, you know, a need. Um, and it's one of the more traumatizing, I think, experiences because it's like someone just took the floor out from under you and just pulled it out with no warning. If somebody had given, I forget who it was and I can't take credit for this, but I thought it was excellent. Um, somebody had given the analogy of it's like, it's betrayal trauma. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real thing. Um, it leaves you questioning everything in life, right? It's like finding out, um, have you ever seen the Truman show? Um, with Jim Carrey when he like sails to the end and finds out that like his whole life has been inside a TV. It's like that. It's that jarring. Um, the, the example that somebody gave was imagine you're in a plane, uh, parachuting, right. And you're with your significant other and you're going to jump out together, but instead they push you out without the parachute and they're still up there with the parachute and you fall, but you live and you look up and you see them up in the plane and they're smiling and waving and that's it. You never see them again. So it's, it's like that you're supposed to pick up the pieces and try to regroup when the whole world has just been pulled out from under you. Um, your ability to trust anybody, your ability to think clearly, um, everything you think you're going to doubt because 
how did you quote, let this happen? Um, you're not yet understanding how gaslighting and manipulation over years and years work. Um, so it's really hard to comprehend and it's a very jarring experience for people. It's, it's probably, it really is one of the most difficult for, again, from a treatment standpoint, I, I, oh, it makes my stomach turn when, when they hit that point because it's, it's bad. Yeah. So how do they do it? How, what, what, what advice can you give to somebody? Yeah. So I focus a lot on the whole, you know, it's, it literally had nothing to do with you. There was nothing you could have done better or different. And they find some peace eventually in the fact that this person's going to do this with every other person they're with and probably worse that you will not be the last person. Right. And that they are, they are not even, it's not that they chose not to love you because I I like to focus on the part that doesn't make them feel like they weren't loved because of something about them. But this person was not capable of that. It has nothing to do with them actively choosing to love you or not, or falling out of love with you. That was never there to begin with. Um, and it's, it's, they, you know, they'll say, I want them to get back to where they were, or how we used to be and working with them on the idea that how they used to be was not them. That was an act. And as, as troubling and upsetting as it was, that wasn't them falling in love with you. And now they're falling out of love with you. It, it was a show. It was a, it was a facade to get you to a certain point so that this could happen. Um, and that no matter what it, this, this was, would happen eventually, um, that it has nothing to do with you. And I think that gives them a little bit of objectivity. They're able to separate themselves from the behaviors of their ex or whoever it is that they're in the narcissistic relationship with. It allows it to, to be a little bit separate so you can look at it. So you're not as entangled because it's so hard to comprehend that somebody can do that. And I sit with them in that. I sit with them in the total disbelief that somebody could do this. And I think that that also is very helpful that their feelings of this craziness of this chaos is valid and being validated. That helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, I think the narcissists though, do believe it in the moment. I I, I think that there's some in the, in element, the beginning. Yeah. I think there's some element of believing it in that moment for them. I, I mean, I do. I think that there's some kind of element of that in that moment. So I think in the, I think in the love bombing stage, I think you see that more so where in the beginning they, they look at you as this amazing, amazing person. They put you on a pedestal. You can do no wrong. You are perfect. And they believe that. Yeah. I think there's some element of it in their mind that they, that they do want whatever it is that I don't know. I think that they, they believe their own lies Oh, to for some, sure. to, to some, some degree, to some degree, in that moment, I agree. Um, yeah, in yes, that I moment, agree with that. Um, I agree with that. Now, whether 
they actually love, uh, you know, that's, you know, you know, to, to the degree that they were capable. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And but I say I, that for people that had parents that were narcissists too, they loved you as in, in the way that they were capable of loving you. And I think that makes it a little, again, it shows this person that, that it's not you. Yeah. That it's, it's due to an inability to have empathy an inability to look at you as a separate being that has feelings and emotions. Um, it really is a, a, a perception. I don't even want to say perception, but it's, it's really it's, it's, is nothing to do with you. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have trauma to their own brain due to their own childhoods, mm-hmm. due to damage to their own limbic system mm-hmm. that took place, you know, as a result of trauma in their exactly. own childhood. And, and so it, it's just not something that they can take personally. No. And so, but what do you say to them when they say, well, but how am I not going to get fooled again? How am I not going to to make the same mistake again? Yeah. So I, my, what I tell people is after they get out of something like that, I tell them to take a break at least a year, right? Like just, you need to do you, (laughs) um, and you need to quote, do things. This isn't going to go away by feeling your way out of it or thinking your way out of it. You need to reconnect with your values. So I do usually a value assessment, um, you need, and for a lot of them, they don't know what they value because they don't even know what their favorite color is because they've been fed this narrative for so long. So they don't know who they are. And my mm-hmm. friend, the example I was giving, she was married at like 1920. So mm-hmm. she truly didn't know who she was ever. So she had to start from scratch, which is fine, but you have to figure out what your values are. You have to figure out where to start. And then you slowly start to engage in the tiniest even though it's brutally uncomfortable behaviors that are in line with your values. Right. And that puts you in such a better place mentally, but it takes a long time. That's why I like people to wait before they start dating again, because I want them to at least feel some sense of control and stability over their sense of self. One of the things um, that I like to tell people is when you feel that everything is out of control, right? So you just found this out. Did they love me? Did they know what they were doing? All of these things. Focus on something that you know you have absolute control over. Even if it's something as ridiculous as getting the mail. Mm. The more things you do that you have control over, the sense of mastery you get, it just starts to solidify that identity, which I think is necessary. It doesn't have to be completed because it never is. Um, we're all works in, work in progress. But at least have some sense of who you are and what you like and what you know you don't want before you start dating. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Like the only way out is through, right? Yeah. It's like heal, heal Mm -hmm. yourself and know who you are. And I think it's important for them to understand too, that you experienced a longstanding trauma repeatedly, Mm -hmm. like a leaky faucet over time. And then before you know it, you're standing in a, a house full of water. Um, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I'm careful in my wording where I don't tell them we're going to get you over this. You're going to get over this. It's exactly like you said, we need to learn to move through it because it changed you. And to try to get back to where you were prior to this 
it's not possible because not only did it change your experiences, it changed your self-identity, it changed your brain chemistry. And we can't ignore that there's been these changes. So you work with those changes and move, move forward. That struggle to try to get back to where you were, um, is exhausting. So I, I, you know, kind of encourage people to move forward with, with behaviors that they can control. Yeah. And and what I have found, and, and I'm curious to know what you think is that they will see it. They'll spot it like right away. I, I mean, because they've been in these situations, once they heal, they yeah. they actually will see it immediately. And 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 it will be so clear to them. It'll be like this bell ringing these red flags mm-hmm. immediately. They'll be like, oh yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on to the next. Yes. It's very empowering. Once yeah. you're able to see these things, it's super empowering for people to be able to predict behaviors and see these behaviors. What I do find though, is when people start dating again, it's actually funny. They'll, they'll, they're so hyper aware and so in tune to it that, you know, he, they, they, he didn't open my car door for, he's a narcissist, right. Or, you know, he didn't do X, he's a narcissist. And so they, they're sometimes they even overdo it and we kind of have to walk them to, to the middle. But I, I completely agree with you. Once they start dating, it's, it's like clear as day for them. Clear as day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once they get on the other side, I, you know, I, I know so many of my, um, former clients are like, I'm a rock. I'm like, yes. You know, in in my zone, they have this authentic power. They're stronger than they've mm-hmm. ever been. They, they're actually way stronger than any narcissist has ever been. Mm-hmm. And and then once you get to that point, they're actually and so you know, I want I want you to get to. Um, you've written a couple of of books, so talk about those and your and your workbooks, and, and and you know, managing anxiety and finding your calm. So talk about those a little bit. Yeah. So they are, so it's find your calm and then find good habits. And one, um, obviously addresses anxiety and stress and depression. The other one, uh, works on how to set goals, but more importantly, not just how to, to reach your goals, but how to maintain your goals. Because we, we always leave that part out. It's like, we get to our goal, we're like, yay. And then six months later, we're back to square one. So it focuses a lot on, on maintenance of goals, but they're both, um, very behavior-based very interactive. Uh, they tend to take an acceptance and commitment therapy approach, which is learning to sit with your discomfort, learning to be present while still engaging in value-driven behavior um, with the understanding that the more you avoid your discomfort, the larger you make it. So it's a lot of exercises focused on you know, tolerating uncomfortable feelings, not getting caught up in your thoughts, not believing your thoughts, learning to be objective to all of that, um, and really being committed to living a value-driven life, which can only happen, um, you know, if you are in the present moment, constantly aware of how you feel at any given time. Um, so they take that approach to, um, like it's really good for, it's just like for everyday life stuff. It's not even necessarily you have to have an anxiety disorder. It's just their skills and strategies. I think that people benefit from that they can do, at any point, whether you're in a business meeting or you're driving in the car, um, it's nice, quick things that you can do that make you feel in control. Mm, so good. I love that. I love that. So what would you want to leave our listeners with? What was, What's like one really good piece of advice that you want to leave people with? 
um, that you are not stuck, even if you feel that way, that there is another side. You will get there. Um, you will, you know, go through hell and back. But like you said, I think the strongest people are the people that have gone through narcissistic abuse and come out on the other end. Um, I would not mess with them. They are just the strongest, most secure people, which is, it's almost like you're like, if that's what you're getting after this great, because, because you deserve that, right? Like you, you deserve that, that, um, that really tough inner core because, I mean, it's just, it's, it's brutal. And so I I tell people that there is another side, you will get through this. Um, There is hope, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I promise you that once you get there, like you said, you don't go backwards because once you see this, you can't ever unsee it. Um, And when you get to that point, it's very empowering and it will happen. Yes. Oh, so good. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. And so where can people follow you, get your books, check you out, all of that. Sure. Um, so you can go to my website, drjamiezuckerman.com. And it's um, Jamie, which is J-A-I-M-E. I-M-E. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's been my, my existence. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. J-A-I-M-E. Um, and then Instagram, I post a ton of stuff um, and a lot of resources on there. And that's Dr. Z underscore psychologist. Um yeah. And I will be launching a new podcast in a couple weeks. So stay tuned for that. And the so books, wherever you buy books. So, yes. And I'm going to have you on. So that would be lovely. Yes. So excited for that. And we will put links to everything in the show notes. So make sure to go follow her, get her books, check her out. She's amazing. And I just think that you are really, really brilliant. So thank you for sharing you. with them here and um, and just for all the light you are in the world. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 